Tonight we're in John 3 as we work through the Gospel of John. And we are going to spend some time looking at John the Baptist. Jesus said, there's no one greater in the kingdom than John the Baptist. He was, he was one of a kind. He was the last of the Old Testament prof, prophets. He, uh, he brought to a conclusion the, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and introduced the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was going to bring about the New Covenant. So he's a transitional figure. The book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. He was the Italian prophet. I think he was from Venice. Actually, it's Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. In my Bible, there's one page in between the end of Malachi and the first chapter of Matthew. One page. But that one page represents 400 years of silence. God did not speak for 400 years after the book of Malachi. Uh, it, it's interesting because Malachi 4 ends this way. If you were God and you were going to end the Old Testament and not speak for 400 years, what would you say? Now, there are a lot of things you could say, a lot of important things, a lot of uh, critical things. Here's how the Old Testament ends, Matthew, uh, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Interesting that of all the things God could have ended the Old Testament in regard to a subject, he talks about fathers and their children. Because you see, when a land is cursed, it, uh, it affects relationships. It affects families. Every family is a small civilization. Every family is a small nation. And a, a country is comprised of family units, obviously people who are single or widowed, or, but generally speaking, as the family goes, so goes the nation. That passage is going to be referred to in John 3, but I want to show you something on the way to John 3 in Luke 1, verse 17, and it's in regard to John the Baptist. You have all these Johns in the New Testament. You have the Gospel of John, written by the Apostle John. Then the Apostle John also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And then you have John the Baptist. And in the Gospel of John, where we're headed in just a minute, once we stop for a minute and fill up our tank in Luke 117, in the Gospel of John, every time it refers to John, it's referring to John the Baptist because the Apostle John never referred to himself by name in his own Gospel. Kind of interesting. Because it wasn't about him. So in Luke 117, 
we read this, and it cites the end of Malachi. It is he will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, who is he? Who is he? If you go up to verse 5, it talks about a priest named Zacharias, his wife named Elizabeth. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren. They were both advanced in years. And then in 11, an angel of the Lord appears to Zacharias and tells him, in verse 13, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. This is, uh, this is all about John the Baptist. It's about his birth. Verse 16 of chapter 1, he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He wasn't Elijah, but he was coming in the spirit of Elijah with the same kind of ministry that Elijah had. Now, let's go to John 3, verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. I think I, could, I, should, stop, I should stop here just for a moment and give you the outline so you'll kind of have a map of where we're going tonight. So we've got four points to the outline. Point one is this. I'm going to call it comparison and competition. Comparison and competition. That'll be John 3, verses 22 to 27. Second point will be clarification and commitment, what we'll find in 28, 29. And then the third point, we'll call it increase and decrease. That'll be John 3.30 down to 36. And then fourth, just practical life lessons. Practical life lessons. Because um, we need some practical life lessons right now out of this text. So back to our first point, which is comparison in competition. After these things, verse 22, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. They had been up in Jerusalem. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. Now, some clarification. Jesus never baptized anyone. You see, yeah, but it just said he was spending time with them and baptizing. Yeah, look at uh, John 4. Therefore, when the Lord, John 4, 1, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Okay, so there's the clarification. All right? So let's go back to 23. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. 
Therefore, now we're going to get into some comparison and competition here. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, watch this, speaking of Jesus, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. In other words, we got a problem because all these people have been coming. We're out here in the wilderness and we're here with these springs and we've got the, this water and you're baptizing and people are coming from all over the country. But now Jesus is here and he's baptizing and his disciples are baptizing and all are coming to him. When I was a rookie pastor in the Bible Belt of San Francisco, <laughs> just 20 minutes down on the peninsula, I knew that area. I'd gone to high school there, college, all of that. So I, I, I knew the area. It wasn't the Bible Belt. It, um, churches are not large out there. I, I have spoken before at the largest church in San Francisco. And on a good Sunday morning, this was 25 years ago, they might have had 150 people. That was the biggest church. So it's, if um, you're not, if you're expecting big numbers, you're going to be disappointed. But it was my first church, and <clears throat> we were seeing some growth, and I was, I was very motivated, and I was young, and I wanted to do something great for the Lord, you know, and had a lot of juice, and I wanted to grow that church. And we were seeing some growth. And the Lord was good to us. I don't know, a couple years later, we had someone from another part of the country, and they were telling us about the church they attend. And that, that church, that pastor had been at that church about as long as I'd been at mine. And then she mentioned what their numbers were. And that church was 10 times the size of my church, which is not my church, by the way. It's his church. 10 times. And I said, that is so great. I am so thrilled about that. Uh, I don't remember saying anything. I was kind of bothered by it. I, I, I honestly was. I, I, I remember it very well. I can still remember that table. I can remember that room. I was, I was kind of stunned, and I was, uh, I was not happy. I was, uh, I was, I was jealous. And uh, I wasn't rejoicing. I was uh, upset. Now, I was, I was smart enough, and I wasn't all that smart, but I was smart enough not to show my true feelings. Kind of stuffed it down. But, but I, was, I was bothered. Why? Because I was comparing and I was competing. Uh, that's not how you do things. But when you're young and you're immature and... 
you got a lot of seasoning needed in your life, that's what you do. That, that is precisely what's happening here. John, and this is one of his disciples, you, you, you've had this incredible ministry. Incredible ministry. And now Jesus, he's not up in Jerusalem. He's down here. He's just a couple miles away. And they're all going to him. Verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. What John is saying, listen, uh, I'm the best man. I'm not the bridegroom. This wedding, all all I'm doing is what the best man does. I'm kind of helping take some details off the back of of the groom. But this wedding, it's not about me, it's about him. And then next line, he must increase, I must decrease. We'll get to that in a few minutes. There's a little background for this and that we, we actually skipped over when we were in the previous chapters. And let's just go back and touch on it because it'll pull all of this together. We start with John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That's Jesus. Verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him, obviously speaking of Jesus. Go down to 15. We'll pick up John the Baptist again. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. John was older than Jesus. So how in the world, because when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, the the child, John the Baptist, he leaps in his mother's womb. So he was actually older as a man than the Lord Jesus Christ. But throughout this passage, he says it more than once, he existed before me. Because you see, that's the message of John. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God. 
That's, that is the bulldozer. That, that is the, all the way through the book, that message is being pushed. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. And John has it very clear who he is and who Jesus is. Verse 19 of John 1. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Oh, are you Elijah? That's interesting. You know, Elijah never died. Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And they knew that there was a reference that Elijah would return. Are you Elijah? No. Now we know from what we read earlier, he came in the spirit of Elijah. He had a similar ministry to Elijah. But no, I'm not Elijah. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am, a vo I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet has said. He quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3. That was John's role. I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. He was the advance man. He was the PR guy. He was pounding the drum for Jesus. Back in those days, when a king was going to visit a particular area, a particular city, there would be a herald who would go before him and announce his coming. They're all very familiar with this. And John is crystal clear as to who he is and what his role is, and he's crystal clear on who Jesus is and what his role is. But his disciples are not crystal clear. Because what are they doing? They're comparing and they're competing and they're a little bit threatened. But John isn't. John's thrilled because this is, this is what his life is, is all about. So go down to verse 35 of John 1. <clears throat> Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, they understood what this meant because of the Old Testament sacrificial system. How many lambs had been slaughtered for sacrifice to cover the sins of the people? Well, it, it, in fact, when Solomon dedicated the temple, they, they slew so many lambs, they couldn't, even, they couldn't even number them. Well, you think about over the hundreds of years, how many lambs. So they understood that figure. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. When you go over to Hebrews, you'll see that Jesus is the great high priest. And as I remember Francis Schaeffer pointing out, Jesus went in to the Holy of Holies but he was the first high priest to ever go in with empty hands. 
Because the high priest would go in with a lamb. The, the priest would go in with a sacrifice. Not Jesus. He went in with empty arms because he was the sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world. That's astonishing. So Charles Wesley wrote a hymn, Amazing Love, How Can It Be That Thou, My God, Wouldst Die For Me? That's the gospel. So back to the two witnesses with John. I'll pick it up in 35. Again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. <laughs> oh, he just, just lost two more. This ministry is falling apart. This ministry is declining. This ministry, oh my gosh, we, we better call some, get a consultant in here. We, we better, I need to go to a church growth seminar. I mean, I, I need to go find a guy that knows how to build a ministry. No. He was thrilled. Because that was the whole point of his ministry. He was the forerunner. He was preaching. And they were repenting. And he would baptize them because baptism had to do with purification. It signified repentance in the heart. It was an outward sign. But the point wasn't that they would be followers of John. He wanted to introduce them to the Lamb of God, who was also the Lion of Judah, who would take away the sins of the world. Now, that's the second point, which is clarification and commitment. So here come the Jews that we read in 119. Who are you? Who are you? Well, he clarifies, and he's committed to the message. No, I'm not him. He's the one. It's interesting, back in 125, it says, they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you were not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Jesus was there. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So a man had a position of, honor, some wealth, he would have servants. He'd come in from a difficult day and the servant would untie the strap on his sandal. He says, I'm not even worthy to untie a strap. He's great, I'm not. He's God, I'm not. You see the clarification, you see the commitment to who Jesus is? John's not bothered. John's not competitive. Not, John's not trying to build. John knew the plan. The plan was that he was the forerunner. People would come. He would prepare the way. He would point them to the Lamb of God. And the whole point, the whole purpose was that his disciples would become the disciples of Christ. So he had a ministry that initially was growing and and, and, and was multiplying. But he knew from day one that wasn't, the, that wasn't the final chapter. 
That was the opening chapter. His job was to get them away from being his disciples and put their focus on Jesus so that they could become his disciples. And then in turn, they would go and tell others who would become his disciples. If you go down to 38, and Jesus turned and saw them following, the two guys who had been disciples of John. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who, who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Okay, you following this? Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. That's how this thing works. So what happens to us, it's, it's the same thing right now. It's the same process. Uh, go over to Second um, Timothy 2.2. 2. This is the discipleship process that is the mandate of the church and what we're all to be involved in. Second uh, Timothy 2, verse 1, he's writing to Timothy, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Watch this. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, that's how it works. So, they follow John. The whole point of John is to get them to Jesus. They follow Jesus. Then they go and tell their brother or their friend or their buddy or their, and they bring them to Jesus, and there you go. That's how the world was changed. And you know, this is still in effect. And, and right now, we're kind of living in depressing times. But you know, the gospel is still flourishing, and God is still doing his work. We're taking a lot of hits right now as Christian people. If you look at Colossians 1, verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras. Oh, there you go again. So they learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant. You, you see, it's relationship. We've got to look at what's going on around us through the lens of Scripture. These are difficult times. They are hard times. They're going to get even more difficult, we're losing freedoms. We're well on our way to becoming Australia. If you're paying attention to what's going on in Australia, it's, um, 
I mean, it's verging on North Korea stuff. You probably have more freedom in China than you do in Australia right now, in, in certain sections of Australia. It, it's astonishing. The, uh, the authoritarianism, the tyranny, the, the mandates, and they're just reaching and doing whatever they want to do. It's, it's utterly out of control. Well, we're headed down that path, and we see it coming, and the velocity is strong and increasing. It's accelerating. Is it not possible that people that you've been praying for, who have been resistant, who haven't been interested in the Lord because of their focus on the good life, their focus on getting that house, getting that promotion, getting the stuff, getting their piece of the pie, and that takes a tremendous amount of en energy and concentration, and they really don't have time for anything else. Their, their mindset is right here on this earth, period. How will they ever come? Well, it might be that all of those idols are taken away. And all of the things that they never imagined, ever, it never crossed their mind that certain liberties and freedoms that we've just always had, because that's how it's done here, would be taken away. But indeed, if that happens, and the likelihood is really good, really strong, that that's going to happen, then where are they going to turn and what are they going to do? Well, when there's nowhere else to go, Jesus is there. Wherever Christianity is growing the fastest is where there is the persecution. That's how it works. And you say, I don't want to hear that. Actually, I say, I don't want to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. But it's how God works, because we get so comfortable. We get so comfortable that we don't need him. We're so comfortable that all of our needs that we think are needs, that are just surface needs, are within our reach, and we can attain them. But when all of that, that possibility is taken away, then you start looking at the deeper needs. And you start looking for help. You're not adequate anymore. Psalm 27, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom then shall I fear? There's a lot to fear right now. But the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom then shall I fear? Isaiah 41, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will help you. I will uphold you with my mighty right hand. Paul said to Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but that of power, the power of God, the love of God, how much God loves us. God's not given us a spirit of fear, of panic, 
of cowardice, but that of power, the power of God. This body they may kill. God's word abideth still. I was reading something this week of a church leader, evangelical church leader, who born and raised in Africa. And he had moved to actually Australia. And this was an interview that was done several years ago. And someone was asking him, you know, it's quite the difference here between Australia and Africa and all your years of ministry and here. And they ask, of the two, what's the most difficult place? He said, Australia. And they were surprised. They said, really? It's more difficult to live the Christian life here? He said, absolutely. Why is that, sir? Well, in Africa, in our nation, there are many, many Muslims, and they're very militant. And on any given day, as a believer in Jesus Christ, on any given day, and you don't know when that will be, you'll have to choose between life and death. In Australia, you don't have to choose between life and death because you've got a third alternative called compromise. You just compromise. You just compromise. And that's spiritual death. This is serious and sobering stuff. But it's where we are. The third point in John 3, we're calling it increase and decrease. And you already know what he means by this. And what, what, a, what, a, what a great statement. What a great purpose statement for our lives. Where in John 3, verse 30, John says, and see, this, this is where, this falls on the heels of the joy. Yeah, your disciples are following Jesus. Man. So this joy of mine has been made full. Verse 29. He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. Now, note verse 31. This is why he wants to exalt Christ. This is why Christ must be the focal point. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. In, in, in other words, Jesus is the supreme God. Yeah, he, he was born in Bethlehem to Mary without a human father, but he existed before me. He comes from above. He's God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. I'm of the earth. 
And then, so really what he's saying here is that he is the supreme God. Then in 32, 33, and 34, he is saying Jesus is the supreme word of God who knows the mind of God because he is God. And there he is involved in that relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is kind of heavy-duty stuff. But, but you see, this is why we listen to Christ. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't pick up a couple of PhDs and write a big dissertation and have a series on PBS. He's God. He created this whole thing. The whole thing. The whole shoot match. He upholds all things by the word of his power. It works. It still works. It's still held together by him. 32, what he has seen and heard of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. The idea there is few. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So Elijah... When he was taken, he was succeeded by Elisha, and Elisha said, I would like a double portion of your spirit. And it was granted. But see, here, there's no measure to what Jesus had. It, it could not be measured. It, it was without measure. He is the supreme word of God who speaks the mind of God and reveals it to us. This is why we read Scripture. It's the mind of Christ. Paul says we have the mind of Christ. When you read Scripture, you have the mind of Christ. This is why Scripture is so important. And especially in these days, you cannot afford to be malnourished biblically. It's the only thing that will keep you going. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, it's interesting. We've got this COVID thing. And apparently people, some people die. Some people have light symptoms. Some people, talking with some friends this past week, and they apparently got it six months ago and mentioned that brain fog. They had brain fog and they had uh, lost their sense of uh, taste and smell. I'm amazed at how many Christians apparently with this COVID have lost their sense of right and wrong. They've lost their minds. And they're scared spitless. And it's like they've lost their gyroscope. It's like they've lost their compass. They're, um, they're absolutely panicked. And they are signing off on things that are really contrary to Scripture. I, I, I really do mean that. I, I'm amazed at Christians that have lost all 
sense of biblical morality. I see them signing on to things that Scripture absolutely forbids. So, why does that happen? Well, let's start with uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of, whom, of him with whom we have to do. Then go down to the next chapter and take a look at verse 11. Actually, we'll pick it up in 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Why? How long have you been a believer? Oh, 20 years, 30 years? Really? You need to go back to preschool. You're not even in kindergarten. That's what he's saying. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You can't handle solid food. You're on formula. You're on breast milk. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed. Watch this. He's talking about spiritual immaturity. He's talking about spiritual infancy from perhaps those who have been professing for a long time. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Because of practice in what? In the previous verse. They are not accustomed to the word of righteousness because they're not feeding off every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So if you're not in Scripture, you're going to lose your sense of right and wrong. And your fear is going to increase dramatically. Have you come across Christians who are absolutely terrified of dying? Now, there are a lot of people who don't name the name of Christ who are afraid of dying. I'm running into a lot of Christians. Uh, that would be Hebrews 2, verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, obviously talking of Jesus, that through death, now watch this, watch this, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. You don't have to walk around under the tyranny that death might get you. It is appointed for a man once to die. We got to get it in our heads that we're not going to die by random circumstances or by chance. It is appointed for a man once to die, and then comes judgment. And God, in his sovereign plan for you and for me and for everyone on the face of the earth, he is appointed. He's appointed not only your time of death, but he's appointed how you will die. Well, wait a minute. Now you're, maybe I should start worrying about how I'm going to die. <laughs> it's just human nature. Well, I wonder how I'm going to die. I mean, my gosh, what's going to happen to me? Why would you worry about that? 
You don't need to worry about it because as thy days, so shall thy strength be. Well, I don't think I could go through something like that. I have a friend that's dying of cancer right now, and I see what's happening. I don't think I could go through. I don't think I could do that. Well, you couldn't right now. But as thy days, so shall thy strength be. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. You see? You look back over your life. Have you not been through things you thought you would never get through, and he got you through? It's what he does. So if he, in the past, he's gotten you through this, I know, I'll never get through this. You got through it. Even though I walk through, not, not avoid, not fly over, not tunnel under, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of deepest darkness, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He's out in front of me. See, this is, this is how you stay sane. This is how you keep hope. This is how you uh, tap down the fear and the panic. It's by the Word of God and the promises of the Word of God. And this Bible comes from the mind of Christ, who knows the mind of God, and it's a true word. It can be trusted. You can stake your life on it. How fortunate are we to have the Word of God? How fortunate are we to have the promises of God? And no wonder the world attacks it. Oh, that can't be trusted, you know, the manuscripts were corrupted and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Oh, I read this guy's book, and he says the manuscripts have been corrupted and because of this and this, yeah. There's probably a hundred guys that have written PhD dissertations refuting that. All of those objections that are being thrown out, they've been answered. Uh, the track record is astonishing. Oh, there are no Hittites in the Bible. There's no Hittites. They didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And then one day, some guy's digging in Israel and pulls this thing. Oh, Hittites, Joe Hittite. <laughs> oh, his, oh, his wife, Esther Hittite. And Benjamin Hittite. And oh, yeah, the Hittites. Hmm. I'm kind of joking around, but I'm not. That happened. In John 3, 35, Jesus is the Supreme Court. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. All things. All judgment has been given into the Son. And we've talked about this before. We get upset because there's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of wrong stuff going on. It looks like people get off scot-free. Okay, Don't need to bang that drum. You know all about it. But Jesus is the Supreme Court. And by the way, every one of those justices on the Supreme Court, yeah, they're not. But one day they'll make an appearance at the Supreme Court before the Lamb of God, who is the Lion of Judah. And as we said last week, you can meet Jesus as judge, or you can meet him as savior. And in John 3.36, he is the only savior. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Let's get to the fourth point.
life lessons from John the Baptist. If you look at chapter 3, verse 27, right after one of his disciples is all upset and says, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. Watch this. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. John's position as forerunner was from God. It was from God. Your position is from God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? So what do you do in life? What kind of work do you do? Or if you're retired, what kind of work did you used to do? Whatever. If you're a young guy, what kind of work do you want to do? Maybe you're going to school and I want to get this certification so I can do this. Why would you want to do that? Well, because I'm interested in it. Good. If you're not interested in it, why would you do it? He's giving you gifts. And he wants those gifts utilized. Don't go do something you're weak in. Go do something you're gifted in. And then he'll, he'll, he leads and he directs. But you see, really, that verse is an incredible. First um, Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? So are you a CPA? Yeah, I, I love crunching numbers. Great. Well, why do you love numbers? Well, it comes easy to me. Why does it come easy to you? Well, because when you're in mother's womb, he formed and fashioned you, and he put that ability with numbers inside you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. So if you're good with numbers, he gave that to you in the womb. If you can read people like a book, and some people can read other people like a book, he gave that to you in the womb. So maybe if you're a people person, maybe you ought to be not in a back room somewhere crunching numbers. Maybe you ought to be out with people because you're energized by people and you care for people and you love people. And you're so good with people and you want what's best for them. You're selling this product and they don't even need it, but they like you and they buy it. And then they tell their friends. Or if you're good with your hands. So I have this study and we sold our old place five years ago and we were building this new house and I'm talking to these two guys about my study and the finish work and the shelving and all this and you know, it's important to me because I'm in there every day a lot of hours and I realize they're listening to me and they're not writing anything down and I'm getting a little concerned and I said, do you, do you, you guys want me to write this down? Well, no, no, we're good, we're good. I'm thinking, I'm not good. <laughs> I'd seen the work that they had done. And I'm telling you, they flat out did it. They, I mean, they got it. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. To me, the three most feared words in the English language are some assembly required. <laughs> I remember buying a, a deal at Sam's Wholesale Club, I mean, almost 30 years ago, and it, I think it was some, some kind of foosball thing or something, I don't know what it was. And I bought it and I, I, and I was just about to pay, I said, whoa, 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 is there a manager around here? And they, yeah, and they, hey, come on. And I said, hey, do, does this thing have to be put together? He said, yeah, but he said, I've done it. it's a snap. I said, okay. So I bought it, parked it at my neighbor's garage, I bring it out Christmas Eve about 
And then I, I opened it up and said, some assembly required and an engineering degree from MIT. <laughs> I didn't go to MIT, I went to M-I-C, K-E-Y, M-O-U-S-E. But there are guys. They'll never read those directions. They just, that's no big deal. You craftsmen? Where'd you get that? You got it from God. What do you have that you did not receive? So your position is from God. Oh, and by the way, if you're in a position, positions come to an end. And when they come to an end, you're in transition, and then you're wondering, what's next? Uh, well, he's already got that scoped. He's enclosed you behind him before. You look back over your life, you see chapters, just like reading a biography. You know what's interesting? He's enclosed you behind him before. You can see the chapters of your life. You can date them, you can title them, you can mark them. But as you look ahead, here's what you need to know, because you can't see what's ahead. He's written chapters for you already that are as clearly marked and delineated and titled as the ones you've been through. You just can't see them. So yeah, I lost that position. Okay, you're in transition, and he's already got the next one squared. Well, I don't know how I'm going to do this because there's restrictions, and I know with my business, I might lose my ability to make an income. No, you won't. Because my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Well, how's he going to do that? I have no clue. How would I know? How would you know? I don't know, but I know him who runs the world and runs the universe. You see? Just takes the stress off. He makes a way where there is no way. It's what he does. He's a savior. Real quick. So his position was from God. Here's the second thing. Promotion is from God. If you get a promotion, it's from the Lord. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. Not from the east, not from the west, not from the desert comes promotion, but promotion is from God. So in your life, there'll be times when you'll be promoted. That's from the Lord. It clearly says that in Psalm 75. But here's a third point. Demotion is from God. Read Daniel 4. Nebuchadnezzar, most powerful man on the face of the earth, he's walking around looking at this Babylon which I've made. A voice comes out of heaven and says, sovereignty has been removed from you. Boom. Daniel told him a year ago it was happened. He didn't think it would. Now for the next seven years, he's grazing with the Angus. And at the end of the seven years, suddenly his mind comes back. Why? Because God gave it back to him. What do you have that you did not receive, even your ability to think? And he gives glory to God. He's not bitter. He's not angry. He submitted. Because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And the Lord uses the stuff he takes away to draw us to him. Amen. Duration is from God. Duration. Uh, what I mean by that is your lifespan. Psalm 31, my times are in your hand. It's appointed for a man wants to die and then comes judgment. The, the duration of John's ministry was in his hands. So John's ministry started strong. Jesus shows up baptizing. It starts to flatten. And then they all go with Jesus. And John goes to jail. 
because he spoke out against evil and he was put in jail. And then in the plan of God and the sovereignty of God, this political leader is all juiced up, got a party, some young girl's up there dancing a lewd dance, I'll give you half the kingdom. No, just give me the head of John the Baptist. It's appointed for a man who wants to die. I got one more thing. Diminishing strength due to aging is from God. I got on an escalator the other day and pulled a hamstring. <laughs> it's embarrassing, is it not? But we're getting older, we start breaking down. You young guys, you have no idea what's coming. <laughs> but it's coming, and it's just fine, it's all right. Let's close with this. Isaiah 46.3. I'll tell you what, this, this is one of my all-time favorites. Isaiah 46.3. You get older, uh, maybe some of you guys, you were let go because they brought in a younger guy and they can pay him less and you've been there a long time and they just kind of, you know, and it's hard to get a job when you're 55, 60, whatever. And now more and more there's this government encro encroachment. You understand what I'm talking about. How am I gonna make it, you know, gosh. Okay, watch this, Isaiah 46, three. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I will be the same. We're not the same. He's the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you. And I will bear you, and I will deliver you. We're good. We're good. Because Jesus is great. Father, we thank you for your word, the power of your word. A study like this has a way of uh, rooting pride out of our hearts because we've got nothing to boast about except Jesus. We are so grateful for what you have done for us through him, through his blood, through his sacrifice, and that you promised to carry us all the way until our last breath on this earth. And then it really gets good. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.